Very early Sunday morning, before the dawn's light appears, Jesus is risen, declaring victory, no more defeat. Jesus is risen, declaring victory, no more defeat. Resurrection is my song. Resurrection gave me life. Resurrection made me strong. Jesus, my Lord, is alive. Resurrection made me strong. Jesus, my Lord, is alive. Jesus is risen in glory heaven and earth sang and praised and the angel told the story he is risen as he said and the angel told the story he is risen as he said resurrection is my song resurrection gave me life resurrection made me strong jesus my lord is alive resurrection made me strong jesus my lord is alive mary magdalene was looking in the garden for her lord while jesus himself was telling her to go and spread the word while jesus himself was telling her to go and spread the word my resurrection is my song resurrection gave me life resurrection made me strong jesus my lord is alive resurrection made me strong jesus my lord is alive all the disciples were praying they were really in great fear when mary came to them saying he is risen he is not here when mary came to them saying he is risen he is not here resurrection is my song resurrection gave me life resurrection made me strong jesus my lord is alive resurrection made me strong jesus my lord is alive while they were in the room jesus christ himself appeared my peace i give to you and my peace with you i leave my peace i give to you and my peace with you i leave resurrection is my song 
Resurrection gave me life. Resurrection made me strong. Jesus, my Lord, is alive. Resurrection made me strong. Jesus, my Lord, is alive. But Thomas did not believe what the disciples had seen. So Jesus again appeared, showing him the place of the spear. So Jesus again appeared, showing him the place of the spear. Resurrection is my song. Resurrection gave me life. Resurrection made me strong. Jesus, my Lord, is alive. Resurrection made me strong. Jesus, my Lord, is alive. Let us sing today with a voice of joy for the King of glory. Jesus Christ arose, everyone praises with an incessant voice for God the Word. Jesus Christ arose, for He is our God. Come, let us worship Him. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ arose. The Master died in the flesh and was buried. And on the third day, Jesus Christ arose. Emmanuel, the Word, let us praise Him with the angels. Jesus Christ arose. All the seven orders worship him, proclaiming continually, Jesus Christ arose. Behold our father Adam rejoiced and was glad with our father Abraham. Jesus Christ arose. Rejoice, O prophets, for the incomprehensible on our Lord, the Master, Jesus Christ arose. Behold, the apostles saw and rejoiced, they preached to the world, Jesus Christ arose. Those who were carrying the spices, the angel appeared to them, saying, He is not here. Jesus Christ arose. Rejoice, O Virgin Mary, the mother of joy, for truly your Son, Jesus Christ arose. Today let us rejoice and be glad because the king of kings jesus christ arose luke the wise and john his beloved truly have preached jesus christ arose blessed are you o christ the unquenchable light come let us praise him jesus christ arose he has saved his people. 
with his arm from the devil jesus christ arose the true lamb let us praise him our true god jesus christ arose guard us o our god from malice or master the son of god jesus christ arose zion and jerusalem rejoice today with the land of ephthalia jesus christ arose we praise and bless him and serve him and worship him jesus christ arose the son of god our king died and was buried and after three days jesus christ arose this is the day which the lord had made let us rejoice today jesus christ arose hail to the resurrection and the tomb and the blood which the only begotten shed jesus christ arose repose all the souls in the dwelling of joy for the sake of your mother the queen jesus christ arose O who has suffered and trampled death have mercy upon us o king of the ages jesus christ arose Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy holy spirit from me restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew thy spirit within me create in me a clean heart o god and renew right spirit within me Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew right spirits within me
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. God willing, today we're going to start a new series uh, focusing on some of the more famous ancient church writings that maybe um, some of us have heard of, uh, or maybe many have not, and some of these you might have heard uh, like as references um, in sermons and things like that. Um, so it's important to understand, of course, the early writings of the church because we refer to the early writings of the church to help us to understand scripture, to help us to understand how the early church interpreted things and what they practiced. Um, and so uh, even though some of these readings um, might be a little bit more difficult, um, they're all available uh, online. Uh, some of them, the free translations uh, that are available, maybe are a little harder translations, like maybe a little older style translation, um, but understandable. And then there are some, of course, that you can buy uh, that uh, has, you know, a more updated, more modern translation. There is a very extensive uh, series um, called The Fathers of the Church. It's uh, published by the Catholic Church, um, and it's uh, over 100 volumes, has so many writings. Um, the, uh, and this one you, you, you can buy. You can buy the whole, the whole series, or you can buy individual books. Um, the specific book of that series um, called Apostolic Fathers is the one that included this work we're going to study today, which is called The Shepherd of Hermas. Um, so it's a very interesting, the reason I chose it is it's a, it's a very interesting uh, book. It's written um, as kind of like the book of Revelation, where there is uh, this man, Hermas, and we'll begin to see, he sees this vi these visions and records the visions that he saw, and the visions are... Uh, you know, they reveal uh, things about heaven and judgment and things like that. So it's very, it's very interesting. So Hermas, the one who wrote it, so it's called the Shepherd, uh, and then the, the Hermas is the author. So it's called the Shepherd of Hermas because he is the author. He is one of the fathers of the first or second century, and his work, the Shepherd, had great authority in the early church, and at the time was ranked with Holy Scripture. So there were some that said that this work actually was canonical, meaning that it would be part of the Bible. Um, St. Irenaeus, for instance, was one who considered it to be canonical at the time. Um, later, when the official canon, the list of books that were included in uh, the modern Bible that we have today um, were compiled, this was not one of them. But it doesn't mean that it's because we think that it's false or, or there's something wrong with it, okay? The, the books that are in the Bible are the ones we consider directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, so there was some, some at the time who believed that this was. Eusebius tells us that it was publicly read in the churches and that while some denied it to be canonical, others considered it most necessary. St. Athanasian speaks of it together with the Didache, an uncanonical yet recommended by the ancients for the reading of, cate the reading of catechumens, for the instruction of catechumens. Uh, Rufinus similarly says that the ancients wished it to be read, but not to be used as an authority as to the faith. So again, it's, it's useful and it's beneficial to us to read, um, but it's not uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit as the other books would be in the scripture. Um, St. Irenaeus and Tertullian cite the shepherd as scripture. St. Clement of Alexandria constantly quotes it with reverence, and so did Origen, who held the author was Hermas, mentioned by St. Paul in Romans 16.14. So there is a man named Hermas, mentioned, mentioned by St. Paul in Romans 16, and Origen believed that the Hermas mentioned in Romans is actually the Hermas, the Hermas who wrote this. Um, but 
not everyone is in agreement about that. Um, he believed the work to be very useful and divinely inspired. As far as the authorship, um, a reference to St. Clement as Pope in the work itself would give the date of the authorship to be around 89 to 99 AD. However, if the writer is identified as the Hermes mentioned by St. Paul, an earlier date becomes probable. So if the Hermes is mentioned in the Book of Romans, then that places it even earlier in time. If the reference to St. Clement as Pope uh, is referring to the St. Clement that we know of as Pope, that would be 89 to 99. But there are three ancient witnesses that declare that he was the brother, that Hermes was the brother of Pope Pius I, who was not earlier than 140 to 155 AD. So we'll look at those references. So if, if this Hermes is actually the brother of Pope Pius I, and Pope Pius I was uh, around this time, 140 to 155 uh, AD, um, so that would place the authorship around that time frame. Now here are the three witnesses, the three, the three documents that witness. The first is called the Moratorian Fragment. Um, this fragment is a copy of a first century document that contained a list of all of like the, the books, all of the books that the church used. Um, it says this, and very recently in our own times in the city of Rome, Herma or Hermas wrote the pastor, which is the shepherd, when his brother Pius the bishop sat upon the sea of the church of the city of Rome, and therefore that book ought to be perused. Okay, so that's what's written in the Mertorian fragment. It says Hermas is the brother of this bishop who was the patriarch of Rome. The Liberian catalog of popes, which was uh, dated to the third century, it says under his episcopate, which is Pius, his brother Hermas wrote a book in which are contained the precepts which the angel delivered to him, coming to him in the guise of a shepherd. Okay, so again, this is a second uh, evidence showing that Hermas is the brother of the patriarch Pius of Rome, which again would date this work around that time frame, 140 to 155 AD. Um, the third is the poem of Pseudo-Tertullian against Marcion, which was a document around the third or fourth century. It says, then after him, Pius, whose brother according to the flesh was Hermas, the angelic shepherd, because he spoke the words given to him. So there are several uh, pieces of evidence that show that this work is around that time frame, in the middle of the second century. Hermas used citations from the Gospel of St. John, Ephesians, Hebrews, and other Pauline epistles, and 1 Peter, but the books he most certainly and most often used are the Epistle of St. James and Revelation. The structure of the book. Okay, so the shepherd is an exhortation to repentance in apocalyptic form. Apocalyptic meaning that it is like the book of Revelation. It is vision and it is the recording of these visions and the recording of what happened to him and that he saw in these visions, which, which serves to instruct and to teach. Uh, it is broken up into three sections. The first is what are called visions, the second is what are called mandates, and the third is what are called parables. So there's five visions, followed by 12 mandates, followed by 10 parables. And the first vision, the church, that like the church has like is personified as an angel, the church in this form comes and speaks with Hermas. So in the first vision, the church appears to Hermas and exhorts him to repent of his own sins and for the transgressions of his household. In the second vision, he receives a booklet to transcribe, which describes the necessity of repentance and gives some detailed indications about the coming persecution. 
After the third vision, Hermas is to spread the booklet among the faithful. In this vision, the elderly lady, who is the church, points out the fortunes of the church under the symbolism of the tower from which useless stones are excluded, just as sinners who do not repent are excluded from the church. So we'll go into more detail about these visions. But in this vision, there's a tower and there's some stones that are chosen to be part of the tower and some stones are rejected to being part of the tower. And so this is the, the tower represents the church and the stones represent the individuals. So the people who are, um, who are righteous and worthy, uh, the stones are included in the tower and those who are not uh, are not included. The urgency of repentance is also stressed because of the little time left for it. Finally, in the fourth vision, Hermes is shown by the elderly lady a symbol of the coming trials and persecutions of the church, a huge monster who came on with a rush capable of destroying a city. Then the church appears as a youthful bride, symbol of the cleanness and purity of God's elect. The visions are followed by the mandates and parables which he is commanded to write down by the angel of penance. So as a, just a, a really brief overview, okay? So after those five visions, he's, he receives these 12 mandates, which are like commands, um, which, are, which are speaking about certain uh, principles of the faith. Um, the first one is the belief in one God, that there is one God, the simplicity of heart, the love of truth, chastity, and the sanctity of marriage, meekness, characteristics of the angel of justice and of the angel of wickedness, the fear of God, self-restraint, confident prayer, uh, speaking against sadness and despair, false prophets, and covetousness. The mandate stressed the avoidance of sadness and despair of salvation and encouraged the faithful to expel the devil from their hearts. So that was the second section, the mandates. And then the third section, which are the parables. Finally, the parables are like the mandates in their teaching. And here are some of the, the, like the, the main points spoken above by each of these parables. Number one, man does not have in this world a lasting city and should not attach his heart to transitory goods. So as citizens of heaven, we are looking forward to our everlasting domain in heaven. And so we do not have a lasting city, meaning we do not have a place here to be attached to or to consider to be home. So our focus should be on the future, not on the transient world that we live in. The second parable speaks about the rich should give to the poor and the poor in return should give the alms of prayer for the benefactor. So what the poor can offer to the rich is his prayer whereas the rich can offer his physical possessions as well to the poor. The third and fourth parables, just as the difference between dead and living trees is not discernible in winter, so the difference between the sinners and the just is only apparent in the world to come. So the point being that this is, this is why we say you cannot judge um, another person, because from the outside, it's very hard to tell what is on the inside of a person. Just like you can have a tree that is alive or a tree that is dead during the wintertime, and you can't de determine, is it alive or is it dead? Both trees look the same because they don't have leaves because it's in the middle of wintertime. But it is only discernible, okay, um, in the world to come, only apparent in the world to come when God is the judge who will reveal the hearts. The fifth parable is uh, obser observations on fasting um, and good works. The sixth speaks about luxury and deceit. The seventh, the value of repentance. The eighth, the parable of Archangel Michael cutting branches from a huge elm and presenting a branch to one and all. The elm is a symbol of the church. The branches symbolize the various classes of the good and the bad. 
The ninth parable is symbolism of the tower uh, and admonition given to sinners to become useful stones in this building. And then the last one is the exalted angel appears again and repeats his admonition to Hermas and the community. So very, very briefly, that gives you a sense of the whole book. Okay, The author, when it was written, its purpose, its style, um, and how it's structured. So God willing, um, we will look this you know today and, and in the coming weeks um, at certain excerpts from this. We're not, of course, going to read the whole thing, but we're going to take certain excerpts that are like the most enlightening and the most interesting um, and, and speak about them uh, and so we can get familiar with it and then speak about the importance of it. Okay. So at the beginning of this, the very beginning, okay, this man Hermes is a slave. Okay, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing, and his heart is stirred toward her. And even though he feels in himself that he has not committed any sin of lust against her, and that he sees her in a, in a very pure way, uh, although he does desire her to be his wife, but he sees himself as not having committed any sin against her. He has good intentions. But as he is traveling, he falls into a trance, and he sees the heavens open and a vision of that woman that he had seen greeting him. And this is what she says to him. She says, I have been taken up to convict you of your sins before the Lord, God who dwells in heaven, the creator of beings out of nothing. He who increases and multiplies them for the sake of his holy church is angry with you for your offenses against me. So, so here she's saying that this man actually committed an offense against her um, even though he did not even interact with her, right? This is all like just in his thoughts. And, and, and she's saying that the Lord is coming to rebuke him, right? He says, um, is angry with you for your offenses against me. So Hermes, um, in response to this woman, this is all in the vision, right? This is the first vision. Um, all in response to this woman saying this, Hermes is defending himself, and he says that he has no impure thoughts. He had, he had no impure thoughts against her. So she responds and she says this, In your heart there has arisen the desire of evil. Surely you think it evil that an evil desire arises in the heart of a good man. It is a sin. So she's saying that maybe without him even being aware that he uh, did lust after her um, without his awareness. And that she's asking him to pray and ask God for forgiveness for what he had done. Then there is, so that was the first woman in this vision, the woman that he had seen before he fell into this trance. There now appears to him a second woman. Okay, so Hermes is upset and he is grieving because of the accusation that was set against him by this first woman. So there now appears a second woman. So this is what Hermes is saying. He says the following. As I was weighing and debating this with myself, which is the words of the first woman, I saw before me a great white chair of snow-white wool. Then there came a lady advanced in years in exceedingly brilliant garment with a book in her hand. So this woman is the personification of the church. She was sitting alone and saluted me. Greetings, Hermas. In grief and tears, I said to her, greetings, lady. He's, he's grieving because of the accusation. She then said, why this gloom, Hermas? You are always so patient and slow to anger, always merry. Why so downcast in looks and woe be gone? My answer was, because a very excellent lady declares that I sinned against her. Then he said, 
this does not refer, sorry, then she said, this woman, um, this does not refer at all to the servant of God. However, the thought concerning her did really enter your heart. For God's servant, servants, sh uh, such a thought induces sin. So she's bringing to his awareness that sometimes our uh, motivations are muddled, muddled and we are not really understanding or clear about what we're actually thinking and desiring. He saw this in front of him, and as far as he understood in himself, he, his thoughts toward her were pure, but it had been revealed to him that actually they were not pure. And, and so here this woman is saying, for God's servants, such a thought induces sin. Like we should not, as God's servants, we should not dwell on these kinds of thoughts because it leads to sin. She goes on. She says, but this is not the reason why God is, God's anger is stirred against you. Rather, it is in order that you may convert your household that has sinned against the Lord and against you, their parents. Now, because of your love for your children, you do not admonish them, but allow them to fall into dreadful corruption. This is the reason for the Lord's anger. So what she revealed to him now was something completely separate. She says, the reason that the Lord's anger is stirred against you, it is why it is because you have not done enough to rebuke your children, to teach them the way of God. Um, and, you know, it says, because of your love for your children, you do not admonish them. Like, because you have love for them, you find it difficult to punish. You find it difficult to be firm, to be strict, to set boundaries. You find it difficult. Um, and this is the reason for the Lord's anger against you, because you allow them to fall into dreadful corruption. Okay? I can only imagine what kind of dreadful corruption that you know this 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 uh, angel is speaking about at the time if you consider the kinds of dreadful corruption that exists today and the kinds of things that are easily accessible to our children at any moment compared to at the time you know the kinds of dreadful corruption that existed at the time were things that were outside of the home you know like you had to travel you had to go somewhere you interact with certain people in order to experience dreadful corruption because it is only in those places or with those people that there would be an influence to sin. But if you are in your home, back at the time, if you are in your home, there is little access to what would be phrased dreadful corruption, maybe by our standards today. But today, the dreadful corruption comes right to us. You know, you don't have to go out, you don't have to go anywhere, you don't have to do anything. You just sit where you are and the dreadful corruption comes to you, right? So if, if in this way, God is rebuking this man, for not admonishing his children. Like how much more maybe we receive this admonition to ourselves when we do not do enough to protect our children from the corruption that exists in the world and, and the kinds of things that come to, come to us and come to them in our very own home, maybe through the media or through electronics and so on. So it is, it is a very kind of sobering uh, thing here when this is the, f this is the reason why and for this man that the Lord is rebuking him. Maybe, maybe he thought that the Lord's rebuke was coming because of lust, but actually it was coming because of his responsibility toward his children that he was not being faithful with. After this, she goes on to tell him that God has had mercy on him and his family, that God is merciful, that even though um, God identified that he was doing something wrong, and yet God had mercy on him, 
and his family, and she admonishes him to discipline his children so that they would repent and so that their names would be written in the book of life. And this is the great responsibility that comes on anyone who is a parent, that so much of the work that we do and the effort that we do is really about raising our children in the fear of God so that they would love God, so that they would be implanted in the church, so that when we are not present with them, they choose to make good decisions on their own, which is, which is a big thing, right? Because it's one thing to be very, um, you know, to be very alert and to always be aware of what our kids are doing, which definitely we should be, and to be protective, which we should be. But our goal in the end is not just to be a policeman, right? Our goal in the end is to implant in them a desire for holiness so that they, when they are on their own, when we are not around and they are presented with sin and maybe from their friends or some other place, they on themselves will have the courage and the desire to do the right thing and to reject that. And instead of them caving into a kind of peer pressure, they actually will be leaders and to lead other people out of sin to righteousness. This is really what we are trying to do as parents. This is the goal of parenting, is to you know, teach our children how to be Christians um, without us so that we don't have to make these choices for them. We don't have to tell them what's right or wrong. At some point, they know what's right and wrong, and they will make the right choices. And when they fail or fall, they don't try to hide it. They admit it, and they, they accept rebuke, and they go confess their sins, even if, of course, at some point, it's not going to be coming to the parents to confess their sins. They're going to go to their father of confession and confess their sins. But they have the desire for repentance. They have the desire for spiritual struggle. They have a desire to grow, and they accept the fact that they are sinners and that, that when they fall into sin, they want to come and they change and, and, and grow and transform. So this here is really the, the, the reasoning why the Lord was angry with the man. It goes on then and says this. After these remarks, she said to me, Do you wish to hear me read? Yes, lady, I said. Be attentive and hear God's glories. The great and wondrous things I heard, I am unable to remember. So Hermas is now, he's writing. He's saying, the great things that I heard from the woman that she told me, I'm unable to remember. For all her words inspired fear, which no mortal can endure. But her last remarks I do remember, for they were helpful for us and gentle. Behold the God of hosts, who has created the world with his invisible power, strengthen and surpassing wisdom sorry, strength and surpassing wisdom, and who in his glorious good pleasure has clothed his creation with beauty and by his mighty word has firmly fixed the heavens and set earth's foundations on the waters, who in the wisdom and providence that is his alone has founded his holy church and blessed it. Behold, he is moving away the heavens, the mountains, the hills, the seas, and all is becoming level for his elect to fulfill the promise he made in fullness of glory and joy, provided they observe the commandments of God which they have received in great faith. So he's, he's saying, what is it that you have to look forward to? Okay, God is moving away all of the things that keep us from him, right? All of the, all of the, the obstacles that keep us from him. The heavens, heavens meaning like the sky heavens, not like the kingdom of heaven. The mountains, the hills, the seas, everything is becoming level, meaning everything is being like, like, taken away. Everything is being taken away as obstacles. All the great things, all the, the large things, the things that we look at and say, wow, look at these things that are huge and big and uh, an obstacle for us. Those things are becoming as nothing, right? Because God is demonstrating that he is greater than those things. He is greater than the heavens. He's greater than the mountains. He's greater than the seas. And so he is leveling all of those things 
that they are like nothing. And so it says what? To fulfill, right? Like he's doing all this for his elect, which is us, for his elect, to fulfill the promise he made in fullness of glory and joy. So God does not want there to be any separation between us and him. And these great things of the world, when we as human beings um, are so mindful of them or seeing that these great things are like um, they occupy our minds, our, our, our attention, our attachments, anything in the world, right, that becomes for us a great thing, any attachment that becomes a great thing in our heart, that we turn to those things and we become preoccupied with those things more than we are with God. All of those things will be leveled, right? Like everything will be leveled. Everything that we place such great and high value in in the world will be leveled. There, there will be no... Like there, there, will, there will be no value in it. There will be no power in it. There will be nothing left of it. And all that will be left is us and God. And, and so he's saying, do not be attached to these things, right? Provided they observe the commandments of God, which they have received in great faith. Like in faith, we receive God's commandments and we do what? We observe, right? We believe and we observe the commandments of God. Now, when she had finished reading, and had risen from her throne, there came four young men who took the throne and went away to the east. Then she beckoned me and touching my breast said, were you pleased by what I read? To which I answered, yes, lady. The last part pleased me, but the first part was difficult and stern. She answered as follows. The last part was for the just, the first for pagans and apostates. As she was still speaking with me, two unknown men appeared lifted her in their arms and went away in the same direction as her throne to the east. However, she went away with a smile and turned to me to say, courage, Hermas. So she, this is actually the beginning of like this vision, these visions and this journey that he's going to have. And so um, she's going away, but she will come again to him and he will continue to see um, these visions. So she concluded it with an encouragement. And so what she said was of the... Um, of the things that she said, some of them were harsh and stern, and some of them were pleasant and merciful and, and good. And he had an even difficult time processing and remembering all of the stern things that the woman said, and he clung to the merciful things she said at the end. And so the woman's response was, the first part, the difficult part, okay, was what? For the first, for pagans and apostates. Meaning the people that do not have the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what they should expect. They should expect that outcome, that punishment, that, um, you know, uh, judgment and condemnation. Whereas those who have the Lord Jesus Christ are the ones who should receive what? The mercy and the love and those things that the man was joyful to hear. So it's important for us to, to remember this, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have salvation. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have um, a road that's open to us to follow. Through him, we have the power to overcome the world, okay? But if, our, if all of our focus is on this world and not on him, then we have lost that power because we are not seeking it from him. You know, it's kind of like if your friend was a king, okay? And if you have any kind of problem, you go to the king and the king will solve it for you because he has control over the whole kingdom. No matter what your problem is, you go to the king, he fixes your problem for you. But if a person has the king as his friend, but chooses never to go to the king. 
He never takes the opportunity to go to the king and ask him for help in solving the problem that he has. Then it's just as though he doesn't even know the king, right? Because the king is available and the king is offering, but if we do not go to him and seek from him the salvation, then we do not benefit from it. So this is the first vision. Um, any comments or questions about this vision? Okay. So that's all we're going to cover today. God willing, next time we're going to go deeper into the subsequent visions and so on um, to kind of get more of a flavor of this writing. Again, the goal here is not we're going to read the whole thing or be familiar with the entire thing. So I encourage you, if you're interested, to go and read this on your own. Um, we're just going to touch on some some excerpts, and then God willing, after we have a good flavor of, of this writing, we'll move on to something else. So you can kind of be familiar with a lot of the writings of the early church. Okay? Yes. No. So we believe that it's useful to read, but not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because if, it, if we believed if it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, it would be in the Bible. But we know this is not in our Bible, right? This is just one of the early writings of the church. Now, at the time, it was widely circulated and it was widely read. And there were some people who considered it to be inspired. But ultimately, the church as a whole said, no, this isn't inspired, but, it's, but we should read it. It's useful to read. Okay? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day and for every blessing you give us. We thank you, O God, because you provide us so many reminders and so many invitations so that we could come to you, O Lord, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Grant us, O Lord, perseverance to the end, that while we face so many struggles and trials in this world, that we would not fall away, but we would continue in faith, O Lord, obtaining our comfort from you in all things and feeling your presence with us. And having joy, O Lord, knowing that you are with us, not seeking it from any other source, not seeking it from any sinful source or anything in the world. Grant us your peace at all times, O Lord, and grant us to enjoy the power of your resurrection that we celebrate for these 50 days. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, communion the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all, go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.